What's up, folks? I'm Dig. This is the Dig Podcast. I'm here today with Snebzor. How's it going, Sneb? It's going well, my friend. Can I call you <laughs> Sneb? Yeah, everyone okay? calls me Sneb. You know, I, I, my name is Greg, IRL. The only person in the world who called me Gregory was my grandmother. So I wonder if you have, like, old acquaintances, too, who, like, call you Snebzor. Like, what's, what's the split? Uh, what's the split? Well, I mean, it's actually a good story. So oh. I picked my screen name because my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, so my mom's dad, he was an airplane mechanic in World War II for, for the Royal Canadian Air Force. And he was positioned in the UK. And so all of his buddies um, growing up and in the war, they all called him Sneb. And that was just his nickname. And so uh, my grandfather passed away when I was a teenager and I just kind of took the name. I was going, I tried to make everything just Sneb four letters, but of course it was taken everywhere. So I thought mm. I need a random suffix. So I just picked yeah. Zor. There's no like, no, n nothing cool about that part. But yeah. yeah, so everyone calls me Sneb. I like to think that I keep the memory of my grandfather alive with that. And he's a good man. Very good man. That's amazing. What about your grandfather? Like, what qualities do you do you or did you admire about him? Um, he was very much a person that focused on community and family. Okay. So he grew up in a small town, right? There was maybe when he was growing up, there was maybe only a few hundred or maybe a thousand max. Mm -hmm. He grew up on a farm, and he was a farmer his whole life, so he knew what hard work meant. <laughs> And uh, he lived that. He was somebody who, I mean, farmers around here, they all help each other, right? Equipment breaks down, out of gas, whatever it is. It's just about helping others. Around so here? My grandfather like, was somewhere just somebody in the Midwest really of America? Or what's that mean? I'm, I'm in Western Canada in Word. the province of Alberta. Okay, okay. It's directly above Montana. I didn't know you were Canadian. Yeah, from cool. Alberta. <laughs> Word. All right, sorry, please continue. Yeah. No, that, I mean, that's kind of it. He's just somebody who was very devout in his faith and worked uh, for his community and his family. He had many kids. He underwent many trials. He had several kids pass away. Um, and he just was somebody who just kept pushing forward and kept going when things were tough. And he was somebody who just served his whole life. Sounds like someone who's really easy to admire. Mm -hmm. Very easy to admire. Yeah. That's that's really incredible that you would you would you would continue his memory in your name, his legacy as a sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I hope I do it justice. I mean, I don't, many many times I probably don't think I do. He, he was a very very good man, very good man, uh, and he did a lot. He did a lot for this community. Cool, cool. Well, let's talk about how you honor that legacy, Snub. I got to know you best, I think, when I first started hearing you on, on Tea Time, on Mighty Teapot show, and especially around the conversation, I've really think I've gotten to know you better with the conversation around Guild Wars 2's recent expansion, End of Dragons, which is amazing, and I loved it, and a lot of people have, but there's one part of it where the love is not so clear, um, specifically the, uh, what a reading that Coily refers to as the uh, the Jade Sea meta event, what we all know as Dragon's End, and the community division that comes to that, and the the strife in the community division. Sneb, I've heard you say many times that the division in our community bothers you. 
And that's where I want to get back to. But before we get there, I want to rewind it a little bit more. And I want to ask you, how did you get into Guild Wars, streaming Guild Wars 2? What's, what's your story? What's your path? How did you get here? True, it's actually a long one. So Ooh, I actually started up. making YouTube videos as a teenager. A lot of people don't know that. I made YouTube videos and I was making Call of Duty commentaries because that was the thing back in the day, right? <laughs> nice. So I was playing Call of Duty. I was talking about gameplay. Then I lost interest in Call of Duty, right? Okay. And I mean, I still kept up with those person. Why? Oh, yeah. it just wasn't the game for me. Like mm. people, people were brutal to each other yes. online. Honestly, yes. that's what it was. It was like really, really toxic. The constant so, and I wasn't that it. good at it, right? I just played with friends, and as my friends drifted away from the game, I sort of drifted away from the game too. And the classic. I was story. like, well, I've always played Guild Wars, so I started making Guild Wars one commentaries. We just talk about random stuff, playing Guild Wars. And then I started making little guides and things, and. I had a guild and we would do fun things together and I would share that. And, and so it was pretty casual, but I made a lot of that kind of stuff. And then Guild Wars 2 got announced. And uh, I'm actually, as I look back, I think, wow, as a teenager, it's like I knew stuff that I know now, but in a very informal way, because my background now is in consumer behavior and marketing. Right. Uh, and... And so back then I realized that if I wanted to like break the algorithm, I needed to be the first one to get the news out about Guild mm. Wars 2. So I started mm -hmm. setting alerts and stuff for Twitter that would wake me up at two in the morning and I would make a video like at two in the morning. My parents hated that. They, they hated it so much. They took my computer away multiple times. <laughs> but I started making those sorts of videos. I'd make videos about like the map and I'd make videos about the dynamic event system and combat and like i just was making all these little videos just talking about my thoughts and be like oh there's this new article they posted this is so exciting uh -huh. i went to pax east after i graduated high school with my dad and i saw you know them reveal some guild wars 2 gameplay and i was in the auditorium for that and everyone was freaking out and they gave us beta keys and I that's kind of where it started and I back in the day it was like um, Matt Visual had like a few hundred subscribers and I did videos with Matt Visual. I didn't know uh, Wooden that. Potato. Yeah, I did like, um, we did like talks, like a podcast, like we're cool. doing now, but we had like cool. these little short discussions. And then I did, I don't know if you know who Kai Dream is. I think she actually works huh. in the game industry now. Um, but she started making videos. I then also, oh, there's a guy named Tube Elephant, Psycho Power Ranger. All of these people that we're all on Skype talking to each other all the time. And then one day, so what I used to do is I used to go, who else makes YouTube videos about Guild Wars? Mm -hmm. And I found Wooden Potatoes when he had 200 subscribers Ooh. and he was doing Guild Wars 1 Let's Plays. And I remember having a conversation with Wooden Potatoes just via text and being like, hey, we should make a video together doing the Codex Arena in Guild Wars 1. But the time zones were so different, it was, like, impossible to do. Um, but anyway, like, I kind of go way back with that stuff. Um, then I sort of uh, drifted away, largely because I was still living at home, and my parents just didn't believe in it. I mm. actually was offered a machinima contract. Shit. Um, 
Yeah, that I tried to go through with and everything. What, what would that have been like? What was that, the nature of the contract? Uh, basically, because at the time, you couldn't really be like a YouTube partner and make gaming content because I think yeah. everything was negotiated through external parties. And so okay. if you wanted to get the, the monies for views, you needed to go through an org. I think that's what it was at the time. I could be vastly incorrect about that. But Jeez. anyway, I don't think it would have been like a huge deal. It's not like I was getting thousands and thousands and thousands of views. I had a couple of videos that got like 10,000 views and stuff, but that was, that was kind of it. So it's not like it would have been life-changing. But the problem was at the time, I realized the potential of esports and gaming and Twitch was really new. And I kept, I had this like eternal battle with my dad. And I kept being like, this is going to be massive. Like this is going to be such a big deal. And he just didn't believe in it at all. What did he uh, want you to do? No, what's that what did your dad want you to do anything that wasn't that right like my parents considered gaming an utter waste of time right and they kept telling me i was wasting my time wasting my time until one day i believed them right i was like okay i should just stop this so i just kind of cold turkey stopped um i grew up in a very conservative religious background and so okay. i ended up being a missionary for two years in the How federated states of micronesia so I lived on an island with no running water electricity for two years and I helped people. So it was very interesting. I didn't play any games or really have any contact with the outside world at that point in my life. Uh, and I learned a, a very rare island language called Chukis. Wow. Uh, so I'm fluent in a language that almost nobody knows. <laughs> what a unique experience. That, must, that sounds like an incredible challenge. Oh yeah. So I had to, I was dropped off on an island middle of the ocean with no resources to learn the language because it's not a formally taught language like you can't duolingo chukis you know yeah yeah so i was dropped on this island and just expected to figure it out and i did <laughs> holy shit yeah so i i mean i used other missionaries as mentors and whatnot um but that's basically the cycle is you get there and people just I remember I used to sit down with the the elders and have them tell me stories. And then every time they said a word I didn't understand, I would just write it down and then ask them after what it meant and to describe it. And it's some words like are hard to ex just explain, right? Uh, yeah, like there'd be these like slight nuances in the words that made it difficult. And then th there's words that just don't exist in English that exist in other language languages. It, it gets really confusing. Oh. Like, you know, the, the best example I have is, you know, the, you know, the feeling when you consume a lot of fatty foods and it's yes. like, you like the taste of it, but you're not interested in eating anymore because it like, just like, can't keep eating it. Yeah. Because there's like a word for that. It, feels, it, it tastes good, <laughs> but it feels bad. Yeah. It's like, you want to keep eating the ice cream, but like, you're just like, disgusted <laughs> or like the moment yeah. when you've had too much cheese yes exactly right <laughs> yeah yeah so they have yeah. like a word specifically for that feeling and like having to have somebody describe that what to is you it? in another language what's the, oh, word? what's the word like i'm it's funny because i'm like desperately searching through the dictionary in my head and now i can't remember it <laughs> now that i've described it and I, in like two days i'll remember it again but it that's, be. that's the that consequence word. of not practicing the language very much <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah naming things is powerful not having a word for something means we don't have as, as much command over it in our minds and our lives. That's, that's an interesting... Yeah. Anyway, uh, continue. Yeah, so that's... 
I, I did that and um, I was there for two years. I came home, uh, went to university and I started like playing a lot of Guild Wars again because I loved the game, right? And I had, I had a community back and I still actually have contact with some of those folks and have met some of them IRL and stuff. Cool. Uh, but I just kind of played a lot of PvP for my university career. <laughs> played a lot of PvP Gosh, and I would, I would yeah. phase in and out of Guild Wars and... There was a couple people that I was following. I really liked Jajus a lot. I uh -huh. watched Jaja like all the time because I was into PvP and that was his thing, right? So I Word. just watched just Jaw like all the time. And then I also watched a guy that was like, I can't even remember his name exactly. It was like Shinryuku or something. Yes, the warrior guy. Yeah, yeah and I used I to watch him. him all the time. And... um he, I was there on a stream when he was like, you know, I'm just going to quit. This is my last stream. And I was like, holy crap. Like, wow. watch this guy a ton. Uh, and then um, I honestly, I didn't watch a lot of Guild Wars 2 streams after that. I start, I mean, I think Jaw introduced me to Teapot somehow. Mm -hmm. um, but otherwise, I watched a lot of other games and streams. I really enjoyed watching Kriparian and Hearthstone, mm. and I watched a lot of Grubby play Warcraft 3, and I watched okay. a lot of StarCraft 2 stuff. So very much in the Twitch community. I can hear that loud and clear. Yeah, I just really enjoyed, like, watching people that were really good at games do their thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I want to be good at that, but I know I'll never be quite as good as them, right? <laughs> like, it's really cool to have, like, that aspiration and just sort of live through other people. Hmm. And so anyway, um, I recall like if I would every once in a while, I would just stream randomly, right? Like just, I, it's not like I streamed once a week, even it was like every few months I would just like pop the stream and then random people I hadn't seen in years or talked to in years because of my YouTube channel or whatever. They'd like pop in and be like, I remember when I was a teenager and you were a teenager and we kind of had that shared experience, right? Which sure. was really cool. Then one day, um, I was about to go to class and I got raided by somebody that had like 150 viewers. Ooh. And I was just like so blown away. I almost skipped class. I would have skipped class if I had, I had a presentation that was worth like 40% oh, of my grade. Shit. So I had to go. I had no choice. <laughs> oh man, but, what um, a moment. That, yeah, and I really wanted to stay because I was like, oh my gosh, like I really used to enjoy this when I was a teen and like this would be so fun or whatever. Yeah. But I ju it just never happened, never ha Like I just kind of let it go or whatever, right? But then fast forward, I graduate, I work a summer job, I start my master's degree. Mm -hmm. Master's degree, kind of have crazy experience. I could go into that later if I need to, but I have yeah, I want to crazy experiences. Uh, and then, um, COVID hits, COVID yes. hits. And I go, holy crap. I, and I was super active in like random stuff in my university community. I was president of clubs and honor societies. I'd go to charity events. I helped plan events. I was just like really involved yeah. in all yeah. of these things. A real and then it was all taken away uh -huh. in, in an instant. Yeah. Everything was gone. I had nothing to do. I was so bored and honestly, it's really depressing. So I was like, I got to do something. And then I just thought, well, what if I, you know, I've been studying marketing and consumer behavior. And it's like, what if I apply some of these like scientific things and I just go and try to make Twitch a thing? Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's not like I had this like formal strategy or anything. I just was kind of like, I'm just going to do this for fun. 
And I want to see if the knowledge that I have means anything or does yeah. anything. Yeah, just just kind of poke at the moment and see if the universe might move yeah. a little for you. Yeah. So that's when I started running Drakkar every day and creating this little guild and community around that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had little in-jokes and things that we would do and rituals and all the things that I'd learned in marketing. Again, not that I like sat down and thought, okay, ritual one is going to be, but I just was like cognizant of the fact that if you want to start a community, you need to have things that bind people together and moments. Yes. So I really focused on that. And then that led me to meeting Teapot because I posted on the Reddit because somebody debated me hard and said they were going to give infusions to the community. And they had them, by the way. Okay. Uh, so I posted on Reddit about how this guy was going to do it if we could beat our record. And then Teapot and Deaxin and a bunch of other folks came in and we slaughtered the record by like three minutes. <laughs> so I, uh, and that was when I was introduced to you can play the game at a higher level and gear matters and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And then that's yeah, kind of how I just got into it, right? I went from, I had three people, zero people watching me, three people, five people, 10 people, 15 people, 20 people. 30 people. I still remember I was like, so I, when I had like 20 people watching me, I was just so grateful. Yeah. So grateful. I thought it was so amazing that anybody would want to share their time with me. Right. And I, I would just express that constantly. And uh, I still feel that way. Right. Like I have streams where I have 50 people watching. I have streams where I have 150 people watching. But regardless, uh, I choose not to even really look at the numbers that much anymore mm -hmm. because I'm just grateful that anybody wants to hang out at all. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's, that's how I got to this place, I guess. <laughs> that's amazing. Wow. And you know, so the parts of the story that don't surprise me are like the little random moments. You're like, this seemed cool, so I tried it. Like COVID happened, therefore I stream. I think a lot of people did that, right? Um, me too, yeah. to some extent, by the way. Um, but the thing that part about your story that interests me most right now is the methodical piece of it. It's where you're like, I have this knowledge about consumer behavior. Let's apply it. I wonder if I could, if I could uh, open that up a little bit. Could you tell me a little bit about what, your, um, what that expertise looks like? Maybe what, what you studied, if you want to share some of your uh, educational experience. And sure. I, then how you apply that stuff, um, this fascinates me. And also, I'm also hoping to learn a thing or two. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know how deep I can go, but like I'll, I'll just give a couple examples of things that I did that, uh, that made sense to me. Okay. So uh, symbols have meaning. Yes. <laughs> Basically. Say more. And so e emotes, I, I would love to do a study on emotes because mm. they, it fascinates me on Twitch because emotes convey so much meaning yeah, and, and we probably take that for granted a lot of the time. I mean, we can use that meaning for evil, as we've seen with there's homophobia and racism and things that go on. People hate raid. They use these symbols to try to demean and belittle people. Um, and then we also see the power that um, a, a feels good man has, yeah. or we see the power of a hey guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, these little things that we ascribe a lot of meaning to, right? They, they, we hold value. They're dense. And so, and so I thought, okay, I need a symbol, right? Hmm. So one day I'd been streaming for like a month and a half or something. And I had like 15 people watching or whatever. And I said, we need to establish, <laughs> I actually remember this quite vividly. 
had like five people in the chat and I was like, we need to establish ourselves as a community. Mm. <laughs> like, what are we called? Who are we? Hmm. What, like, what is this? Right. Yeah. What are we doing here? And my, my daughter's nickname is goose. And the story is that my, my sister-in-law was like, Oh, you're like my little Canadian goose. Cause my wife is American. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, and so I was like, goose, it just fits. Right. So I was like, well, what if it was something with geese? Cause we all like my daughter, right? Cause my daughter would come in the stream every once in a while. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, what if it's something with geese? And so we like began researching the name for groups of geese. And that's uh -huh. how we came up with the skein gang. Cause a skein of geese is a group of geese in flight. Oh, okay. And something cool about geese is that if a goose is ever hurt or sick, other geese stay back with that, wait till it's good. And then they make a, a smaller V to catch up to the big V. Interesting. And so it's kind of like a, no one's left behind in the Skane gang. Like we're together. That's and, nice. and so goose became our symbol, right? Mm. So I got an emote of a goose and I just said, look, goose means good. When somebody does something amazing, that's goose. When we raid somebody, that's goose, you know? Flying V, flying V our way yeah. in. Yeah. And so like, I would say form a V let's go. Yes. Right. <laughs> and, and so that became our symbol and something that people could identify with and that they understood. And then I realized that if you wanted to have the community, you really have to live that. Right. And so these were values that were important to me to begin with, but I thought like, what do we value as a community? What do I value as a content creator? I value helping people. I value kindness and a positive environment. Uh, a place where people can make mistakes and sometimes people get mad or whatever, mm -hmm. but we forgive them and we can move past that and we mm -hmm. can help that goose get to the bigger V again. Mm. And, and just re-emphasizing that constantly through then suddenly doing lots of raid training and helping people get into more difficult content and um, creating statics for raid groups, right? This all sort of developed because of that. So that's one example, right? Um, well, it's actually kind of a few examples all built into one, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's a pretty good example. My education background, um, I actually studied YouTube apology videos, so it's, it's <laughs> PR and consumer behavior. What? Is that a joke? Is that a real thing? No, it's a real thing. I studied YouTube apology videos. So I took a data set of 120 YouTube apology videos, including some from our community, by the wait, way. Wait, wait, wait. So this, is, this, is, this is like creators who did something dumb and they made a big video like apologizing yep. and explaining or asking for yeah. forgiveness. Okay. Oh, say, say more. Yeah. Okay. I'm curious about this. Yeah. So my, my goal with it is I wanted, I don't know. Have you ever heard of Jarvis? Do you know who Jarvis is as a content creator? Big, it several it million followers. I can't call he, him. He did though. like Fortnite stuff. He was, he was okay. like 16, 17 and he made this video where he was like fly hacking in, in Fortnite or like aimbotting or something, so, something like that. He's hacking yeah. the game yeah. and obviously Epic Games immediately bans him for life. He got oh, a permanent ban <laughs> and this kid's making millions of dollars off of Fortnite. Wow. Permanent ban. And I remember watching the video and the comments were so polarized. Some people were like, yo, this kid deserves what he got. Fancy getting banned after you cheat. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then other people were like, dude, it's just a kid. Like, holy crap. He's got his whole life ahead of him. He made one dumb mistake and we're going to like completely eviscerate him. Like what? Like ninja 
obviously popular streamer in Fortnite, came out and said, hey, like this guy obviously did something stupid, ban him for a few months and then let him back in because he's just a kid. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I looked at that and I thought, why do people think so differently about this? Yeah. Why, why do we have some people that are like, yeah, he should get what he deserves, and then other people that are thinking, well, maybe not. What is it about him that, that, sh that makes this so polarized? And so what I analyzed was youthfulness. I wanted to see if somebody's perceived youthfulness or their age, right, would impact whether or not somebody forgives them or like the apology efficacy. Okay. So I buy the hypothesis. I was told, yeah, it was kind of weird because I, I had all these hypotheses, but like most of them were wrong. Um, only oh. one was successful. I found that actually people are more likely to forgive adults, which is super interesting. And I, am, I theorized a little bit about why that is. Or adults' apologies seem to be more successful. And one rationale I had for that is that there's, there's something called the helping paradox, where if, if you believe that somebody already has the assistance they need or they're already receiving the justice they deserve, or then you're less likely to help them. So when it comes to Anna, can analyzing, you say that one more time, one more time. Yeah, the helping paradox. So, yeah, helping paradox. I'll I'll just give an example. If okay. I see somebody on, if I see like a kid, and they're already like, I don't know, they're they're like making this big apology for something that they've done wrong or whatever but they're just a kid, I might think, oh, well, like, they're just a kid. Why do I need to, like, accept their apology? They're, who cares, right? Like, they made matter. a mistake. That's, it doesn't really matter, right? Yeah. They have so, their parents, they have the rest of their lives. They have the support yeah, they you need know, because they're a like, child and dependent in some yeah. way. So it's not... And so what could have happened, this is just the theorizing I did in my thesis, what could have happened is that people saw these... People apologizing who they perceive to be teenagers and they went oh well like who really cares right it's <laughs> you know? fuck up like big news yeah yeah wow look kid <laughs> makes a mistake <laughs> news at 10 Tomorrow, like it's gonna happen every day so it's yeah. just something that they thought probably didn't matter very much i so, buy that yeah i uh I don't know. I just, uh, that's, that's what I studied and it was really neat. And, and that, and yeah, you were saying that, that one of your hypotheses actually tested successfully. Was it related to the helping paradox? No, it was, um, that the amount of responsibility one took would affect apology outcomes. And oh, so, yeah. or sorry, it, it was the amount of perceived responsibility. So mm -hmm. what this meant was, if they thought you were like the real cause of, of what happened. Right. Okay. So, so the difference, like, here's a good example. You run a red light cause the roads are icy mm -hmm. versus you run a red light cause you're driving drunk. Mm. Very, very different contexts here. Right? right. One people will ascribe, they'll be like, Oh, well, you know what? Like not really their fault. Roads were icy. They were slamming on the brakes. They went through the red light. So if they're apologizing, like, then they understand it's not their fault or they should understand it. And if they understand it and they're still apologizing, then it's 
seem to be disingenuous. Well, you might still apologize, right? But um, but how people perceive or how people rationalize what happened is different. So this is this is called attribution theory. So as people, when an event happens, we naturally want to rationalize why it happened. We have to give some rationale. Sure. So uh, when somebody runs a red light, we want to go why. And so yeah. we can ascribe these things to one of two things, something external to the person like the icy road or something internal like that person is a bad person. They made bad choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's that difference here. That, that's that distinction. And so what we found is I hypothesized that when people perceive the person to be, you know, the, the, the transgression or the thing that they did wrong to be more internal, then they're going to have, you know, worse apology outcomes. So essentially the drunk driver had worse apology outcomes than the, the icy road. <laughs> that makes sense. Oh, so they had worse outcomes because, because, because people, people perceived the, the reason for it happening to be more about the individual than something else. That's the like, opposite of what I was thinking a second ago. I need a second to think about that. <laughs> yeah. Think of it like this. If I came and punched somebody in the face yes, because I have like irrational anger and I just yeah. like started beating people up, people might be like, Snap, not the nicest guy, you know? But if I um, punch somebody in the face because they're trying to hurt my wife, they might think differently about sure. my actions, right? Sure. They're rationalizing why, and one of those things is uh, Sneb acting out violently mm -hmm. because he has like these issues or whatever, and then the other is Sneb is acting out to defend somebody, right? Sure. So th they, they don't view it as a problem with me necessarily. Are you um, familiar with David Foster Wallace by any chance? Name doesn't ring a bell. He, he, he was an American author, sadly committed suicide. Um, uh, wrote a fiction, uh, wrote fiction uh, famously one called Infinite Jest, a huge, dense book. Um, but he gave a commencement speech at a university one year. It's kind of famous. It's called This is Water. And it's all, it's all it's sort of an exhortation to... Um, to see the invisible context around us of things that are happening to people. So you see a person cut you off in traffic, but you don't see the, the sick child throwing up in the passenger seat. You see the dismissive uh, grocery store clerk who is who's kind of kind of being a little clippy with you at the checkout line, but you don't see the three customers in front of you who, you know, cat called this person or did something really disrespectful yeah. on the way over. So this is water. It's an exhortation to, to be a fish and notice the water around you. The, the way that he starts it off is by saying, um, so there are these two fish. There are these two fish, and, 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 and they're walking down the street. And uh, they run into this, this older fish, and the older fish says, hey, hey, how's the water? And then the two fish say, oh, you know, good, good, great. You know, they move along, they move along. And then the two fish turn to each other, and one says to the other, what the hell is water? Because they're so yeah. in it that they don't see it. And it's sort of a, yeah. a call to mindfulness and awareness. Mm -hmm. Seems relevant to 
your uh, yeah hypothesis. to an extent yes because if you understand if you understand at a deeper level why something's happening then you're less likely to sort of socially punish this person i think <laughs> right? this is a great transition yeah. point for us Nev. yeah right on that right on that um so sorry were you going to say more no, that's basically it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So to understand the, the 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 circumstances and factors that are affecting a person who who exhibits a some kind of behavior that you may not like, and what do you do about yeah. that? How do you how do you respond to that and take that in? It's hard, and I think that the Guild Wars Two community shows us this. Yeah, yeah. At times, um, you know, I think that the Guild Wars Two community is a great microcosm for life, <laughs> just okay. the general population. I think that as a as a society, we have a real problem with talking about things when we disagree and understanding that you can have friendships with people who may fundamentally disagree with lots of things that you say or do, and that you can still be kind to people even when you have those big differences or disagreements. And that's something that um, I'm kind of grateful for my education because it forces you to ask questions, right? And to, and how, I mean, we have big debates with, I'm with my fellow master students about random stuff, right? And we would, we would have to dig deeper and try to like understand. And at the end of the day, we might not really, we might not even fully understand, um, but we're still friends, right? It's okay to have disagreements or to engage in things differently. Sure. And the way in which you communicate with people is so important. So important. And I won't pretend that I'm perfect with this because I'm certainly not. I'm sure there's lots of video clips of me being not so perfect with this. But I certainly do my best. And I think that's really all you can ask of anybody. Is when somebody is doing or saying something that is just so against what you believe or what you think is right, even if you're wrong and you don't know it, how do, how do you respond? What do you do? And for me, I always, I, I've almost developed this like Socratic method of just constantly asking more questions to try mm. to understand where they come from. I mean, you can even see it on my Twitter. My last post said, what do you, if you could change one thing about Guild Wars 2, what would it be? And honestly, some of the replies I'm getting are like either impossible or are just bad for the game in my opinion, right? Sure. But if I just go, wow, you're stupid, that's a bad thing to do. <laughs> like, what a terrible recommendation. Well, that's not really the kind of discourse you want. What I'm doing is I'm saying, why do you think that? Or, mm. okay, like you said you want this, but like, what would you actually do then? You find a way to like, go a little tell deeper. Tell me on. more, right? Yeah. Tell yeah. me more. And the reason I do this is because at some point, the person either tells me more and I understand their perspective, and that's a good thing. Or they realize that they don't really have any reason for saying what they're saying. Mm. Um, and so they have to reconsider their viewpoint. And their viewpoint might evolve and change in our discussion. And mine will too. And I think that's really positive. Because, I, I mean, I've done the same thing. People will poke deeper and deeper into my opinion. And then suddenly I go, hmm, you know what? I don't know if I'm right about that. Mm -hmm. And this is why I was thinking that. But now you've changed my mind. It's the willingness to have your mind changed that's a big deal. And I think that the Guild Wars 2 community would be better off if everyone was just really open to having their mind changed. 
Not that there's one side that's right or wrong. In fact, quite the contrary. I think that everybody, that there's like some kind of even balance in the force, if you will, yeah. in the Guild Wars 2 force that we've yet to attain because everybody is so polarized. Uh -huh. It's either you have to play with no armor and weapons or you have to be Omega Elite Raider. And I just don't yes. think that that's healthy. Because yeah, that sort of the also is a microcosm for society. You don't have to be way over here or way over there. You can fall somewhere in the middle and be happy. And as a community, we can have discussions with people who are maybe slightly more this way or slightly more that way on an sure. opinion. And yeah. we can come to some kind of compromise. And people can change over time. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, I changed over time. I used to not know anything about the game and just run around and throw grenades everywhere. And I thought it was wicked. And then one day I wanted to try raids and people kicked me so much that I decided not to try it. Like oh, I got people, I actually love this. I get a lot of ridicule and a lot of criticism on Tea Time for basically being like out of touch. But what they huh. don't realize is that I was the guy. When I say things like people don't understand this, I'm actually talking about myself. Yeah. Like yeah, I'm literally, yeah. I lived that very thing. The casual perspective. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I don't even know if I like the word casual because I don't you know, think it's, it's a, good not a good descriptor, word. right? It's, it's, it's just it's the word it's that the we use. It's the worst word right? except for every other word. <laughs> yeah. We just it's but it's just the easiest word to say because otherwise you have to say the people that choose yeah. to play in this very particular way, right? Right, right, right. Um it's yeah, it's just it's just so interesting to me the ways in which we communicate. I mean, I've had people say like horrible, make huge assumptions about me. I've had people say that I, uh, for example, that uh, if I, tea, like Teapot and I are friends, right? And he'll, he'll shoot me a message every once in a while and be like, oh, did you see this thing? Or, hey, we should talk about this thing sometime. Yeah. And uh, sometimes I will literally be working or something or like doing something. And then I have teapot on the background and he just tells me that we're having like some video time and that we're having an informal tea time right then and there. <laughs> I swear half of it isn't planned. But anyway, the reason I'm saying this is because people have accused me of being like a total shill or they're like, they say that I'm so self-absorbed that I only am streaming to try to get money or to like, boost my ego and like from? i don't know it's so interesting to me but it, to like, there's a few questions. times yeah and so I'll, i actually have i've been like why do you think this and they're mm. like all of the evidence points to this and i'm like what do you what do you present mean? it yeah it just gets really awkward um and look i would be way off base if i came on here and said that i'm some kind of perfect human being that i don't make mistakes that i don't get angry or frustrated or that i don't treat people poorly sometimes or whatever because yeah. i think we all do it's it's amazing to me people's lack of capacity to forgive or their their this actually doesn't surprise me this, this next part i'm about to say people will see like one clip or they'll listen to 20 minutes and they will tell me about my whole life story after that. And, uh, you know, it, sure. I just think it's really interesting as content creators, as a streamer, you're completely vulnerable yeah. people. And, and I am somebody that has a very, very hard time hiding how I feel. Like if I was really upset right now, you mm -hmm. would just know it. Mm -hmm. Right. If I'm really excited about something, you know, it, mm -hmm. uh, it's just, it comes with its pros and cons. But uh, 
so sometimes people see me when I'm having a low day and sometimes yeah. people see me when I'm having a high day, but it's, it's really odd because you get a lot of flack for random stuff. Like I got destroyed by the dragons and meta, like people calling me ableist and people, and like the th it, that actually really affected me when people were saying that to me. Let's, because let, let's get into dragons end because uh, I, I yeah. want to hear what you're about to say, but um, not everyone who listens to me is a, is a Guild Wars 2 aficionado. So yeah. let's like lay the groundwork real quick. Um, yeah. Guild Wars 2, MMORPG. Okay, easy. We all know what an MMORPG is. Yeah. Uh, End of Dragons expansion for this MMORPG. Um, Dragon's End, a Guild Wars 2 meta event, which is actually somewhat unique in the MMO space. It is an entire zone of the overworld of Guild Wars 2 that is dedicated to a two-hour sequence of events that occur that the players are responsible for nursing along, which ends in a big conflict against a, an, uh, an Elder Dragon. And you win or you lose. And what makes it interesting um, on the, in, in the community level, where I think this is probably going to go, is the fact that it's a lot harder than many Guild Wars 2 players are used to it being. And they made the interesting choice at launch, and then this is, this is softened weeks later, but there was a choice at launch to gate access to one of the back-of-the-box features of End of Dragons, the Siege Turtle, behind the successful completion of this more challenging-than-normal open-world event. And discussion ensued. Is this, the most, is this the best piece of content ever made by ArenaNet? Because it it does the thing that Guild Wars 2 uniquely does, and it provides a challenge. It's like kind of something for everybody. Or is it a slap in the face to the Guild Wars 2 faithful who are just here to buy their their, you know, their black lion weapons and like do some chill story content and maybe every once in a while uh, you know, join a, an open world uh, uh commander for some boss train or something. What's what's the real what's the real deal? And you jumped into this snub. Um, a bunch of words were flown back, back and forth. Where did you come at this initially? How did Dragon's End strike you the first time you experienced it? It was the most fun I'd ever had in the game, uh -huh. ever. Why? Because it was a challenge. Mm. It was so interesting because we had this open world event that couldn't be beaten in one shot. Okay. The first time I attempted it, I got it to 0.2% and lost to the timer. That's brutal. And it was devastating. <laughs> devastating. Right? It it hurt a lot. Right? We made a bad decision. We we went to go for context. There's there's a number of choices you had to make when you're doing this fight because a tail would spawn and if you didn't kill the tail, you were doing like 80-90% less damage mm -hmm. to the boss. So you'd have to either split up the group or send the whole group over the tail. And so we made a call in the last like 45 seconds and we said, skip tail. Terrible mistake because oh. our group split, like we half committed to, and then we panicked and we were like, okay, we got to go get that. We couldn't kill it fast enough. People were dying and we failed and it stung. Right. But it was the most fun I'd ever had because suddenly we had to like strategize and think and come together as a community. Yes. And suddenly the choices that you made with regards to your stats, your build, your gear, your team composition, organizing boons, all of that was suddenly relevant in an open world context, at least yeah. to some degree. Yeah. And I was like, this is fantastic because now people will have a reason to consider what they're doing and how they're working with the people around them. Mm. 
-hmm. Like, I love this. This will help so much. And um, I was going around. I had people leave my Discord for this, what I'm about to say. I was going around and I was saying, you can do it. It's, I, was, I was going around and telling people, it's not impossible. This is a puzzle to solve, right? We can come together and we can accomplish this. We can do difficult things. It's not impossible. We just need time. We need to figure this out together. Like, I'll help you. I'll do whatever. And um, I would say things like, I'm nothing special. Like, if I can do it, you can. Yeah. And people took offense to that. And uh, people left my Discord. I received some angry messages. People, were, people did not like that perspective. And it floored me. I couldn't believe it. Because I thought what I was saying was like really neutral or like really, I don't know, um, a really positive thing. Because growing up, yeah. I had always been taught like you can do hard things. Like when a trial comes around, when there's something challenging before you, don't fold to it. Don't complain about it. Figure it out. Like, let's do this thing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I got a lot of criticism for that. Some people told me I was ableist. Uh, that shook me pretty hard. I took um, like five or six days off streaming and stuff because I really did not like that. Yeah. Uh, specifically because I have a brother with a very serious disease uh, that has him use a has him use a wheelchair for mobility uh, we have different like slings and medical equipment in my parents house to get him into the shower and on the toilet and all of these things and just you to suggest that. that i'm ableist when <laughs> i worked yeah. with make-a-wish at one of my jobs and helped create accessible playhouses i was just i was shook it really hurt me yeah that is a an incredible confrontation be to grow yeah. up with something like that, to have those experiences and be called, be called ableist. That, that sounds like it must yeah. have been a shock. Enough, enough to prompt me to make a YouTube video, which I almost never made YouTube yeah. videos, right? Yeah. So I, I made a YouTube video that was just like, what the heck are you all saying? Like, think about this. This is terrible. Let's not mm -hmm. divide ourselves. Let's come together. Uh, and it was just amazing to me how many people were so angry about this. And... I don't know. I, I, I wasn't even really sure how to feel or I wasn't really sure what to do. It, it kind of sullied the experience for me quite yeah. a bit. It, it made it so that I wasn't really interested in running the meta that much. Uh, and then there was that whole other debacle that happened, but I will get to that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Why, what do you think it was that drove people to react negatively to you when you said, we can do this. Um, well, what I think it was and what it is are probably two different things. So I want to acknowledge that first. What I thought it Open was. Open-mindedness. Let's go. Yeah. What I thought it was, I thought that people just didn't understand that. I get this a lot. People, people think that I'm like some kind of God of the game that I'm like really, really good. And that I, I just have some innate ability above what other people have that I know something special. What's that? Because why else would people watch you? Yeah. They, 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 yeah, I don't know. People just think that I'm like some hero or something, but they don't understand that I knew nothing, right? Like I, I did exactly the same thing that I'm sure a lot of players do where they just, 
run around, do the story a little bit, right? I don't know what half my skills did. I didn't know what a break bar was. I, d I didn't know any of this stuff. The game never taught me any of this stuff. So right. I just kind of went and threw grenades at things and things died and I got loot and I, I was happy. I was happy. I was yeah. having fun and that's what games are about, having fun. And so I think people didn't understand and they thought that I was on some kind of pedestal being like, yeah, I'm really good at this, and all of we you should be it. too. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> they thought it was just unrealistic, maybe. And that that's what I thought, but I still don't really understand exactly why people were so I think people were also really frustrated that they couldn't complete it and that maybe they took it as a bit of a slap in the face for me to be like, Yeah, you can do it. And what mm. like I've met people that failed it 30 times, right? Mm -hmm. And in my own bias, I'm like, how is that even possible, right? Because if you if you join like a guild group that's going or semi-organized, yeah. there's like a 60% win rate now. Like, I don't know. Um, but uh, I, as I think about that, I can empathize with, you know, I, they've attempted this every weekend for like months, right? <laughs> and they're not getting it. And here, this streamer guy who clearly has a bunch of people that are joining his groups that are pretty good at the game and whatever. He's able to clear this nonstop, no problem. Right. Um, and I can see why that would be maybe a little frustrating. Sure. But it's it's interesting. It just kind of goes you back to advantage. that. People don't really know the full story, right? Uh, and I, I, would, I would venture to say that we often don't know people's full story. And so that's where that communication piece comes in. It's It's okay to ask some questions and to talk about things but it the vitriol that happens the, like i hate you i am never talking to you again and leave like it's amazing people that i'd helped on discord before they just immediately reacted so never spoke to me about it just said this is evil and bad i'm gone and i was just amazed by this i uh yeah i continue to be fascinated with how quickly we can cast somebody aside or, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. I have a thought. It might be a little woo-woo. Would you permit me a little latitude? Sure. Okay. Go. Well, this division between the people who are excited to go hard and the people who feel um, insulted at the suggestion to do so, Let's think about it that way. Is one I've been look I've been singing games for a long time. It's not just a Guild Wars problem, right? I'll drop a specific community in mind that I'm also fairly tightly embroiled with the Planet Side Two community, much smaller. Um, it's an it's an open world first uh, MMO first person shooter that you shoot at each other. Also has tanks and planes and and crazy like jumping. Uh, dune buggies off of ramps and like all kinds of fun stuff that people love to do a future sci-fi war is the, is the pitch the back of the box and uh i think that there are i've, I've increasingly started to see these community interactions in a bimodal sense um and i think that let me say this concisely. I see the people who want to get good and want others to get good with them. They want others to be like them as they get good. 
they see their way as getting good. What they're doing is sort of accepting a a uh, community-defined social hierarchy of sorts that they can progress along by doing more DPS, by getting more boss kills, by doing more and more crazy kinds of clears of Dragon's End, uh, you know, monoclass composition, which I know you've done, um, things like that. And those are those are people who, with a competitive mindset, I think, may be heavily involved in the the interest when they're playing that game of trying to resolve themselves as individuals in the world, in the gaming world. Who am I? Where do I fit? I want to ascend. I want to climb. I want to define myself. And a primary way of doing that is to engage in conflict, right? What's the best way to define yourself, to understand how you differ from everyone else? You engage in conflict. That, that reveals differences. It lets the, the great rise, and if you're not, you don't. Now, the other sort of mode that I've observed, and I think it's sort of, it's sort of like the sleeping giant in the gaming space, because the people who engage in this mode aren't necessarily active in saying what they think, because there is something sort of, sort of conflict-oriented about saying what you think online. You have to be open to defending what you say, and interested in writing things down, which most aren't, I think. Most don't play games in that way. So this other mode that I've observed is not one of trying to resolve and their individual nature on, in the gaming world. It's trying to resolve the nature of the gaming world onto themselves. It's sort of the opposite direction. And they're interested in, thing, in different kinds of things. So the amount of damage they do doesn't matter very much because they're not interested in trying to compare themselves against other players in that space. They're maybe interested in experiencing different different stories, different characters. Um, they want an experience where they feel immersed with some variety. They want to feel a sense of identity that is based in the world. Um, I'm still trying to think, think through this, but I think I think these patterns play out. And I see I see people, I see people like like us, Snev, people who go hard. Okay. I'm a kind of a casual Guild Wars 2 player now, but I go hard on other stuff. That's kind of like my excuse. Um, we don't understand this way of engaging with games very well. This way of accepting the gaming world being put upon us rather than us trying to resolve ourselves within it. And when we see a casual player or someone who says that I don't like that this is challenging me, we say, how could you not like a challenge? Are you, are, that's ridiculous. This is the chance for you to prove yourself, for you to resolve yourself as an individual. Why would you not want to do this? When you're operating within that mode, it makes no sense that you wouldn't want to do that. However, I think there's a different interpretation that I'm starting to grapple with that looks more like, um, when the game presents me a challenge that I can't overcome, with the faculties that it's that it's sort of presented that it's encouraged along the way the world is now in dissonance with me i'm being rejected i am being hurt it's telling me that i don't belong here and rather than seeing it as a challenge it's seen as sort of a refutation a rejection it's like the disregard of your crush it's the world saying no 
And I think that's a real pain that we all feel in different parts of our lives. Yeah. We inject a lot of our identity in the things that we do and the possessions that we have. How could we not? Uh, of course. Um, and so, oh, there's a paper that I'm forgetting the name of now, but basically this paper, there's some research done where they look at how the objects that we own are a reflection of our identity and that we ascribe a lot of meaning into these things. For example, I'm a big basketball guy. Sure. A Kobe Bryant rookie or a Michael Jordan rookie card to me mm. would mean so much more than just this piece of paper with a picture on it, right? And this reflects in the monetary value of these little pieces of paper with an image on it, right? That They mean a lot because pe people hold memories in these things and they, there's nostalgia and they, there's just all of this meaning and life experience and childhood that go into these things. And uh, I needed, I would love to do research on this too, but I, I believe that that same thing occurs in an MMORPG mm -hmm. because your character is almost like a possession. It's a reflection of self. Definitely. Self-identity. A quite literal and, reflection. Yes. And so when, sort of as you were saying, right, when you're going around and you're experiencing things you're essentially you've created your own world. Like there's this sort of sandbox for you, but you instill your own values in this. You build, you build something for yourself. And so when you encounter other people in the world that essentially is yours, right? Mm -hmm. Then, and, and they have differing values or opinions. It, it's hard to like comprehend. It's such a conflict to what you're actually experiencing. I made this doing. character to be in concert with the world. Why would they not be? Why would I not be? Yeah. It makes no, it, it yeah. seems, it seems wrong. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I also posit that this is the reason that why when balance occurs or when the game isn't going the direction that people want or when whatever, right? When there's issues in the game, it's, it's like an assault on your identity, right? Mm -hmm. People perceive it that way, right? Especially in the, if you look at like the raiding community, the fact that, that there are no new raids is so <laughs> abhorrent to this community, right? Like it like hurts them, it's, right? And they mm -hmm. just they just keep saying, well, what if? You know, Arena oh. could have done this. It could have fixed this. What if? What if? What if? Right? And um, they they speak very negatively about it and have a very hard time seeing the good in the game because their identity is they are a raider. Their the entire world yeah. they built, the community they built within the game, their characters, everything is surrounded by being able to do the most difficult content in the game. Yeah. And when those things don't exist and the, the challenges and the pushing yourself to the limit, that, that stuff doesn't happen, it it just part of you it dies. Like hurts, right? Yeah. yeah. Part of it dies. Yes. It's like an attack on your character. Yes. So and I know that might seem like kind of uh hyperbolic or something, but but I, yeah, I think there's some truth there, right? I there, believe there's you. gotta be. Um, I would be, love to study that. But anyway, I, I think that this happens more often than we think. And I think we have all of these people that have very differing value sets of what they're looking to get out. Fun is very subjective. And I'm a huge proponent of this. If you're not having fun playing the game, then you're, you're doing it wrong or the game's not for you, I right? Hate the word if, you don't, if you're not having fun raiding, then why are you trying to raid, mm -hmm. right? Like, don't do not do that. And it's I funny. I hate the word fun, though. Why, why would the raid trainer say that? But I, I, want, I try to qualify people all the time. 
when people come to the gala that want to join a raid group, I just go like, hey, like how into this are you really? Yeah. yeah. Because if if you're just exploring this, just give it a test. It might not be for you, and that's okay. Sure. That's okay. It's okay yeah. not to like this content. Just like I I used to love PvP. I don't enjoy it as much as I used to anymore. Mm -hmm. It's okay to have preferences and to do different things. Yeah, and you're just giving people the courtesy of giving them a heads up about what what's involved in doing this, really. And letting yeah. people decide for themselves if they're up for it. That's nothing but that's the courtesy that all people who are fluent in that in that way of playing the game would ideally be able to extend to people who are new to it. Yeah. And I just think we should be more respectful of people's different preferences to, to play and to have fun. Uh, and it's it's funny because so much conflict in this community comes from that very that intersection of expectation, where people have differing expectations of what to get out of the game, what to be in a group, mm -hmm. how to act in a group, what the culture is. All of this like combines into creating this hostility and this general, this toxic environment. And there's this echo chambery thing, right? Where yeah. where like the simple, the simple ideas with a strong essence get ping around and they get amplified. And the the, yeah. the part and the, the more nuanced understandings that might be closer to real die because they're hard to spread around the the, the yeah. meme in nature of the way we communicate precisely like i think there are very few circumstances where people have been legitimately toxic to me but the the few that have happened are almost always a result of miscommunication and mismanagement of expectations mm. almost all of them and I mean, people people yell at each other only because they just won't communicate. Well, it's yeah, hard. It's, it's a skill. Yeah. This yeah. is something that it, I, I don't really hear enough people understand is that communicating is hard and it is a skill. It's something that I had to learn to do. You know? Look, it's if somebody on funny. their resume told me they were a raid trainer and that they successfully taught 100 people how to raid or something, I'd... I would qualify that as very good communication skills. That right? like that resume line will start working the day that 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 uh, that, that raiders are in hiring manager positions. Yeah, <laughs> I look forward to that. They that are in some. <laughs> yeah, it's starting to happen. Uh, I think slowly, slowly. Um, yeah. So the difficulty of communication and the um, and of making room for each other, like. There's this great sort of quote that I like to try to invoke from myself. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, I don't even know the context of it, but it's so good. Here it is. It's by Baruch Spinoza, a Dutch philosopher from the 17th century. I have labored carefully not to mock, lament, or execrate, but to understand human actions. And I think those of us who are able to do this have a certain, probably part, a certain sort of inclination. And also we've decided to sacrifice part, some time and energy to actually do this. Um, what does it look like? Okay, here's, here's, a, here's a different way to attack this. Um, Snap. 
we've observed that there's division within the community. Yes, we've talked about how this is, this is happening, dimensions of it, the effect of it, um, what it looks like. Do you believe that it's a problem that we can solve? Oh, that's a very good question. A little bit of a rabbit hole. Uh, yes and no. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny because I think on a few tea times and a few different conversations I've had, I come off as a bit of a doomer for saying this, but I, I think that there, there is a point that we can go as a community and we can, we can hit that threshold and we can't move much further beyond it. And then from there it becomes, uh, systems within the game and the tools that we have access to. Uh-huh. I think we can take ourselves to a certain place, but then we can go no further without the help of systems and tools. Sure. So a partnership between yeah. the players and the developers, that kind of idea. Yeah, exactly. Do you ever despair over the fact that those partnerships can't be more, can't be more literal? And there has to be such a gulf between the people who make games and the people who play them? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really, well, yeah, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, right? Yeah. Uh, and I would include myself in that. I think there was a time where I was very critical of the development of the game and was very angry about a lot of stuff, uh, because I invest so much in the game and in the community. Right. And so I was so so annoyed by like okay I, i'll just i'll go off for a second the dragon response missions when those Ooh. came out i was very upset i thought they were the worst content the devs had ever created and i was so very vocal about that we should explain um, what the drms are briefly yeah so when end of dragon started being worked on the planned conclusion of the ice brood saga episodic content for guild wars 2 which was originally pitched as being just as good as an expansion um, which it was not. Um, the end of the planned Icebird Saga arc of content was sort of eh, abbreviated. Let's put it that way. In order to keep players busy, uh, a, a content model called Dragon Response missions were added to the game, which were uh, interesting in some ways in that they they were very they welcomed replayability and cooperative play in a way that most single-player content in Guild Wars 2 doesn't seem to or didn't at the time. But also, they were fairly thin, narratively, and in terms of variety. Uh, so that's what those were now. Yeah, gameplay-wise, they were very weak. And so anybody who was interested in instanced content, they were very poor, right? Uh, to put it lightly, they were not very fun. Um, the challenge modes I completed in one try with a random group of people mm -hmm. um, with no context. I just went in and we just Not did much them. meat on the bone. Yeah, so there wasn't a lot there. And I was very annoyed by this and I was very vocal about it. But as I've learned sort of what goes on in the development process, and I won't pretend to be an expert or anything, but as I gain more insight, I gain more empathy. Yeah. And uh, that, that to me is what is really lacking. That gulf is a gulf of empathy a lack of empathy and understanding. I think there was a time when I came out and said, look, why won't ArenaNet just talk to us? <laughs> because if, if I knew anything, because I'm sure that as a company, it was horrible for the pandemic, like having to redo all of your processes and figure things out and work from home. And how do you, you know, synergize as a team when you're all working at a distance? I'm sure there was a lot going on there. Yeah. And, um, 
I just felt like it was very corporate at times. I think that's changed quite a bit, actually. I think they started making the blog posts where they're like, hey, I'm a human and this is what I do. And this is a story about what I did. And yeah, yeah. those things really were a big deal for me. But uh, yeah, I think it was, um, I think that gulf exists. And I think it's a gulf of empathy. I think if there was more communication, I think other communities do this pretty well. I think if there was more communication somehow, between players and developers and more transparency, not saying they have to show us the books or anything, but you know, if there was more transparency and feedback loops, I think that people would, would be slightly less harsh. Mm. I think there's a, a grow there. Well, for a while there was a big sentiment that they just didn't care. Right. Yeah. They don't care. And I, you know, it's funny because to work in games, you have to care a whole lot. No shit. That, that's the sick irony, right? Absolutely. You imagine the people that you're serving where you might be in a role that's slightly underpaid for your skill set. Or a lot. You're just really passionate about games. Mm -hmm. And the very people that you're making these games for are saying you don't care. Oof. That, how insulting must that be, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I actually try to quell those those conversations because I, I think it's really unfair. I've spoken to a few developers and things and they care a whole lot. Now what they can and can't do because of scope or resources or whatever, totally another story. But saying that they don't care, oh, like they would not be working in the role that they're working if they didn't care. Yeah, and so. su suggesting that, that those people don't care is reflects a really gross misunderstanding of what a game yeah. developer is and does and how games are made. Um, but it's, it's one of those memes that you see tossed around, uh, you know, discord communities and stuff like that. Lazy developers, right? That's, that's one of the big ones. That's a, that's a big part of the, that's a, the reason why I, I interview game developers myself and talk to some of the folks that are reading that because I think that the, the gulf and understanding of what the people who make the games do and how they approach it and how we experience those things is way bigger than it needs to be and it's mostly got to do with like just uh from what i can tell it's just it's just the difficulty of creating something and the necessity the necessity for privacy and secrecy in order to deliver on it successfully not just because of you know corporate ass covering but just because any creative thing has to be has to be has to start small and get bigger and there's an appropriate time to loop in everybody. Um, Snab, I wonder what... Was there like an experience you had that sort of pricked your awareness and you had been like, oh, game devs are people. I should stop bragging on DRMs. Like what, what was it that got you to change your mind about, about that approach? Dude, I don't know if there was like a moment, right? Um... Typically there are like these like aha moments when it comes to these things, but I think there was, it was sort of a collection of, of moments for me. I, I had spoken informally, right. Just in the game or whatever, yeah. right. With people like Darkbringer, with people like Grouch, with people like yeah. Chelsea, who designed the legendary weapons, extremely talented. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Solar, who... Um, has designed several of the elite spe elite specs, right? Mm. And and does some balancing. Or is it balancing? Maybe I'm probably wrong about that. But anyway, I had spoken about or spoken to a lot of these folks, and I was just like, 
they're just humans, right? They're yeah. gonna make mistakes and stuff. The, the game isn't some kind of like immortal comp. Like I don't know. It, it just it just kind of happened, right? Um, I think also part of it is, I mean, when I was tweeting anger and, and vitriol, right? I was uh, was unhappy, right? Not that wasn't really me. Uh, and I think I was projecting my own feelings at the time onto something else because I was unhappy with my escape, right? The game was sort of an escape during a hard time for me, and the game wasn't going in a direction that I approved of at the time, right? And so I was mad, and I was taking out um, all my own insecurities on others. And so as I sort of evolved out of that, I realized you know, how childish that is, right? Yeah. Uh, and there's a difference between being critical of something and, you know, saying, hey, this is a problem. How do we solve it? And saying, like, I hate everything. Everybody should be punished because they're bad. Right. Like, right. it's right. It's totally. It's totally different. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I drifted away from being like just angry and just saying mean things to, hey, like there's some problems with the game. But it's still a good game. And the people that make it are very talented. And this, mm -hmm. these are the problems. and This is how I would solve them. Interesting. You know, I think you've just explained, if I may be so bold, exactly why some of those people that you were close to or were with your community pieced out when you said, we can do this together. That sounds exactly like what happened to those people. That they were used to getting something out of the Guild Wars experience. For some reason, something didn't it didn't give it to them this felt like this was was a hurt this was damage to their identity and in their hurt they lashed out to hurt others you against arena net and they against you yeah i mean i i think that's a good uh analysis i i think this sort of thing happens a lot more than than we'd like to even think it's uh it's a big deal it's a big deal it absolutely is. So we've talked about... Okay, so we were talking about the nature of our relationship with developers and how getting to know them deepens the picture, um, helps us understand like maybe why things don't go right and see the human side of the problem. Uh, what... So I think that you've been pretty clear about what we on the on the gamer side of things can do to improve it. We can learn to be open-minded, extend empathy, extend curiosity. I think that's a good way of putting it too. Of opinions that don't agree with you. Um, find the internal resources, wherever they may be, to uh, unattach yourself to parts of your identity that might be getting assaulted. Attach to something higher. And, uh, you know, just accept being questioned a little bit. Even though that could be difficult. But I wonder, I heard you say a, few, a little bit ago, Sneb, that you really appreciate what Arena is, has been doing for the last, I guess, about a year or so, since like June or July last year, where they've been putting a human face on what they're doing and being more communicative with us. What do you think it is that Arena and studios like them can be doing or should be doing in order to close this gap? Oh, this is so tricky. I've thought a lot about this, actually. <laughs> so I, I'm very conflicted because 
I think on one hand, this is for many of them, it's a job, right? This is their career. This is how they make money and support their family. And do they really want everybody to be in their business all the time? Do they really want to be a face, right? Some people don't, they don't want to be in the spotlight. They don't want to be on live streams. They don't want to write blogs. They don't want people to know their name. They just want to do their job, do it well, mm. go home and hug their kids. And I respect that. So it's difficult for me to go and say what I'm about to say. Okay. <laughs> Cause I don't think, I don't think that people should be forced into the situation either, but, um, being more present, mm. right. Uh, when I talked, when I'm in Eye of the North and I see Chelsea on her character, and I go, Chelsea, I loved the legendary weapons that you made. And people are like, who's Chelsea? Who, what, what are you talking about? Right. They just don't know. Right. That this is, and then people run up and like say balance PVP turn. No. She's like, I, I literally do art. I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Like it's <laughs> fixed dragon's it, it's end. Just, yeah, it's yeah, fix Dragon's End. It's like, I don't even know how, right? What's it's just really <laughs> kind of knowing knowing the people behind the counter is kind of a, a cool a cool thing. It humanizes it a lot. Uh just other other studios, what I've seen is they'll do like a weekly live stream and they'll bring a different person on and they'll yeah. talk about what they do and they'll do Q and A's and I see Warframe do, do all those like sorts of things. But they do them slightly more informally. I don't even know how to, I don't even know. I'm sort of just spitballing here a little bit. Yeah. I don't know how to describe this, but perhaps my biggest criticism of a lot of the community interaction that, that we have from the Guild Wars 2 team is a lot of it is very corporate. Mm. If, does that, does that make, maybe that doesn't quite, I'll, I'll try to describe what I mean. Um, a lot of their social media what I see is just a lot of advertising the gem store sales or a lot of just like the recent update is here. Click to view the blog or click to, there's, there's very little, um, humanness behind that. Sure. And it's just not how uh, social media right now values authenticity a lot, a lot. Mm -hmm. They really value it. That's what it screens for. Yeah, and so it's very strange at times because I feel like I don't know who's behind the Twitter. I don't know who's behind a lot of these things. There's there's glimmers. There's parts where I do see it, right? The blog posts, love those. Perfect example, right? Human, very human. People saying that they made mistakes. People saying what they like and don't like about what's going on, right? A little behind the scenes. Those are brilliant, brilliant. There's a lot, when I see those credits roll at the end of End of Dragons, I'm like, holy crap, a lot of people worked on this, right? Yeah. But I had no idea who like any of them were, Yeah. Uh, which is very odd, you know? Mm. It seemed, it felt very odd. There, there's it's strange this to meet rift. these people only at the very end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have liked to meet them along the journey, you know? Right, <laughs> right. And and it's funny because then there are there are some people that are like leaving the company or whatever, and I, you know me being maybe a little bit more involved, I kind of like know what they did. Yeah, but I think a lot of people wouldn't. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I I don't know maybe I'm just totally off here, but I think that's kind of sad. Like I I think it's kind of cool that you know these people made something amazing, and right. I wish that I knew I wish I knew the the minds behind this masterpiece better. 
Yeah. How do you do that? Right. How, I mean, it's look, it's creepy if I go and I'm like on their personal Twitters or something. Right. I'm not going to do that. Um, but uh, I, I just I don't really know how you facilitate that other than things like live streams, play with the devs. And they've done those sorts of things before. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I they always I would seem a little too polished or consistent. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, look, I just want to see some dev from his house playing world versus world yeah. and people I want to see him getting steamrolled and getting so that pissed. he'll play core Ellie. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I don't know. You you want to you want to squeeze them so they have a human emotion. Yeah, I just I want to I wish they would just tell me more about them. Not yeah. not that they I again, I it's this weird balance because I don't want to be like, yeah, tell me your whole life story and don't dox yourself or whatever, right? Like yeah. you should feel safe going to work and whatever. But there's got there's got to be this tender balance of like, how do I get to know the dev as the human, right? Mm -hmm. And like I'd love to hear those little stories more, right? Like, you know, we named this character after this person because right? Or we did this because I feel like there's a lot of this like lore, right? That's kind of lost because maybe there's this like inner circle that know about it. Like the devs all know that they're, they're doing these things in tribute to people and they're, yeah. you know, but, but like we find out about it much later or maybe we don't find out about it or don't really fully understand the story. It's how do you express the humanness in the game and that process to the people that are experiencing it? Yeah. Um, without burning out your employees because you really don't want your employees to yes. feel like they have to share too much or that they have to go way above what the scope of their job is. I think that would be not good. But may maybe what the real answer to this is that there's not really a dedicated community person. And typically the community person is that humanness of the company, right? Mm. I Or there's like a collection of people that are... I always use RuneScape as an example because I think RuneScape does it pretty well. They have like these mods are like, I don't know, they're, they're just funny and witty and they're communicating uh. all the time, but they have people dedicated to, you know, getting, getting information, talking to the community, collecting feedback. Uh, we don't see that in like a very transparent way with ArenaNet. Like, I've never seen, they, they send out like private surveys and stuff. I'd love to see more of that just be public, right? I, I want the data. Show me the data. I think there'd be less complaining. If, well, I think that the complaining would be different. If, <laughs> yeah. if, if things like, you know, did you enjoy Dragon's End? Yes or no. And they had like polls and, and we saw the stats. Like, do, do you think <laughs> Dragon's End is too hard? Do you, like, where, where do the numbers years. really lie? Is it a vocal minority? Is it like, wh where, what is this, right? I would love to know. Because at times yeah. it feels like the community is like this separate bubble entity over here, and then ArenaNet's like over here, and there's like this people just kind of shooting arrows at each. <laughs> I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, you know, it's actually like I kind of have this weird image in my head where I feel like the whole community of creators and people who are very active in forming the community discussion and the community memes and behaviors is about the same size as the number of people who are actually making Guild Wars 2. It feels like it's about the same number of people. And probably it's not exactly the same. But And then in between them is this big invisible behemoth of everyone who plays Guild Wars 2 without ever thinking about what the developers are like. 
and without ever checking a YouTube video about it. And those are most of the people who play the game. And for them, they see a, a, credit, a credit screen come up, and they're just like, ah, oh, this is annoying to me. This is annoying to me. I mean, maybe they think that. I don't know. Um, I, I bet there are plenty of people that don't care about what I said at all, right? I, I, maybe it's just because I'm really invested, uh, and I have to acknowledge that, too. I, I don't know. I just I think well, there's it's, a culture around It's a deep part that. of your identity. You've yeah. voluntarily yeah, made, mean, made it a big part of your identity. So, of course. Yeah, I mean, look at the room I'm in. Like, yes, yes. <laughs> there's a lot of art and things. Like, I yeah. uh, I really love the game, and I really love the community. I actually don't think I would have stuck around in the game if it weren't for the community, though. Mm -hmm. I think the community is what's always drawn me back. Mm. It's a beautiful thing, I guess. <laughs> it is. You know, it really is. It's a real privilege, too, because I remember, like, gaming in the like the late 90s, early 2000s, like really the very start of people actually using computers to play games together um, at any kind of a level. And how painful it was to connect with people. How painful it was to maintain communities. I played um, Team Fortress Classic, which was the Team Fortress in iteration between the first one with Quake and Team Fortress 2. And uh, it was a Half-Life 1 mod, so it came out in like, two, like 1999 or something. And we used like IRC. We used Roger Wilco. I don't even know people have ever heard what Roger Wilco is. It's a primordial voice communication app. And ICQ. Who's heard of ICQ these days? Not many people. Uh, old school instant messenger client. In order to communicate and talk to people, we didn't have tools like Twitch or Discord. I, I feel so privileged, actually, to be living through a time where the, all the things that I wanted to do when I was, you know, in my early 20s, growing up at that part of my life. And I loved those things, but there was no clear way to manifest them without becoming a game developer. Now we can do stuff like this. We can make our communities. We can join communities because we have all this amazing technology and connectivity around us. I think it's so cool. It's a huge responsibility, too. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's absolutely incredible, though. I remember... I mean, when I was in middle school, you know, you get teased for being the like nerdy kid or whatever, right? Yeah. And I, I just think, you know, you're not alone, right? There's so many, there's so many people, there's so many niche communities. People have this very particular preference for this one book series or whatever. You can find a whole, you can find your clan, you can find your guild, your group, your people, yeah. right? How, how firming is that, or how powerful is that, that we can. Go out and just find, I mean, I've made friends from all over the world because of this silly little game, right? Yeah. It's just a game. It's just a game that we enjoy playing together. Yeah. And, you know, people are telling, I talk to people you know, almost every day that I just met playing this game. And we talk about our families and how, you know, some, somebody might be graduating their program or and finding a job right. and somebody's now becoming a lawyer and somebody's getting married and having a kid and... You know, it's it's amazing that this is what brings us together. You know, mm -hmm. this game, this is game, and yes. we're we're very lucky to live in a time where, you know, you might live in some small town in the middle of nowhere, and everybody else is playing football. You like Guild Wars too. You know what? You've got your people. Yeah, people are there for you. Yeah, that's really cool. It's amazing, especially for someone like me. Like I'm more of an introvert. I'm not the kind of guy to join a bunch of clubs. So I, I am grateful 
that this thing that I already enjoyed ended up becoming this thing that you can connect people over. So cool. So cool. And it's so cool that we have a whole industry that is thriving around creating these experiences and competing, competing for our attention to try to get it. Um, yeah. Would it be okay with you, Stan, if I went back like half a leg in our conversation to... Sure, yeah. <laughs> you were, I just, I just realized there's a branch I wanted to go down. But there's so, there are too many branches, so I had to pick one. I'm picking the other one. Yeah. Um, and it's about the accessibility of the human part of the equation for people making the games, and what you want to see from them. The, uh, you know, the squeezing, squeeze them so they have a human emotion. That kind of idea. I have the sense that there is an awareness that this is needed from developers, and I have this from actually talking to them one on one and doing some interviews and you know some conversations offline. Um, and I also have this sense just from when I do see a, like a two corporate sort of presentation where they're trying to do that, but also in the way that sort of fits this business model and this way of making media that protects all the people who need to be protected along the way. Um, like I think of, um, remember in like the lead of the end of dragons, there was the moment with the cat. In, yeah, in, uh, yeah, yeah, right. Like that was a really human moment where, like, here, look at this cat. Oh, just kidding, it's dead. And then it becomes a meme, and but it, it was a meme not because of the cat, but because of the other reaction to the cat. Like the human in the room was the one who was 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 what everyone was connecting with when that happened. Um, there's an awareness that that's needed, and I do see some, you know, heroic devs step up and talk a little bit about this on social media um one of my favorite like kind of insights that i saw shared um because for me what was gobsmacking to me about end of dragons as someone who's become a more casual player over time was how they actually made a character driven story which i think guild wars 2 has always struggled with and maybe we could even say sucked at um gave us reasons to you know care about characters like marjorie and casimir made a very interesting villain character I, um, that, that stands as a much deeper example of, you know, the, the insane genius uh, meme. But I saw Morgan Lockhart, who works at ArenaNet. Um, I think she's on the narrative team, or maybe she works recently at ArenaNet. Did she yeah. recently leave? Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who left the studio after the expansion. Um, yeah, I think it's hard happens. to track. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just <laughs> happens. But anyway... Uh, I think it was her, and I'm sorry if I'm misremembering this, but I think it was her shared an insight about writing End of Dragons in a way that what she did was she sent all the characters to therapy, which I thought was really interesting. Um, and it, it describes an interest in making sure that there's an understanding of the interior lives of these characters and I just know because of the nature of the way people work that a desire to do that is usually a projection of a desire for oneself. This is a person who deeply cares about having their interior life understood. And um, I thought that was a really cool insight to have shared. Yeah. You know, I, I, was, I had this thought as you were sharing that. 
and it it's no, I wonder if I'm too critical when I when I say, you know, I need to know the human in them. Because I think that as artists, because that's what they are. Yes. I think that as artists, they share themselves with us constantly. And that must be exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Right? Because they they are injecting themselves and their soul into into what they're producing all the time. Right. What what's interesting about that is that we know them in, in so many different ways that we don't really know them, <laughs> if that makes sense. So th maybe yeah. that's where I'm losing, right? Uh, that we makes, know the part I feel of like them what I'm that they leave in the really art. Any sense, but it, no, it, dude, it's I love just, it. Go with it. I I feel like they that I feel who they are in the story and in the gameplay and like look, Cameron designed uh, designed all these encounters. Yeah. You know, I like I get a sense of what Cameron is like, <laughs> not perfectly, yeah. right? But I'm like, hey, you know, Cameron really enjoys this stuff. Like he must because he designed some really cool encounters and he yeah. wanted them to, you know, be somewhat challenging. He found found a pretty good balance, you know. And um, so, in a sense, you know, there are pieces of them, right? There are pieces of them, mm -hmm. all strewn throughout the game because they have to inject themselves in their work all the time and maybe in some roles more than others i don't know so it's it's interesting because they reflect on what i said saying things like well they they need we need to see the human they probably feel like they're already doing that right to some extent because they are right they are and maybe this is a question of like how how maybe this is why lack of like a a a very front facing community manager figure or whatever from the company maybe this is this is the gap, right? This stuff is all happening. It just needs to be put on display more, right? And that's uh, it's kind of a cool thought that I had as you were mentioning that because I, yeah, because because you're right, right? Like that's that's what she's doing. She's showing who she is through the characters and uh, and what she values and cares about, and I think that's really neat. Um, but I think I think that's missed because it's not communicated very well, right? It's like it's it's weird because it is, but it isn't. It, it it's in the game, and like you understand these values in the story, you don't know where it's coming from, the yeah. origin. Like you don't really understand that it's like next la layer level to it. Yeah, I, I you know what I think about when I reflect on that. Um, I think about. I think about the change that we saw as a Guild Wars community back in 2016 um, when we started seeing the Living World Season 3 content come into the game. And we started this, this run of, ah, oh gosh, that was almost three years, I think, almost three-year run where we saw a new Guild Wars 2 release every two to three months, like Clockwork. Some were better, some were worse, but it included a whole expansion, Path of Fire, and it finished up with that amazing Kralkatoric arc. And one of the things that really marked that period was a drastic reduction in the communication from the studio, from ArenaNet. We stopped hearing from them. And in fact, I think, if I remember right, Mike O'Brien, who was president at the time and stepped into the game director role when Colin Johansson left. Um, I think he might have even said that this is a deliberate choice that we're going to speak with our art. And um, 
I remember reflecting at the asking myself at the time, is this going to work? Like, is is this going to satisfy people? And I think for the most part, it did. I think when the art, when the media is being produced in a way that is in line with or in or or, or exceeding the expectations of the audience that we don't necessarily need an explanation. It does speak for itself. And maybe the need for explanation is a sort of a response to being hurt. That part of yourself that feels in conflict with the world when something doesn't go the way you want it to. One thing about that period I do remember distinctly was watching um, all the non-raiders of Guild Wars 2 despairing over the period of like, like that was like six or seven months probably, where we were seeing Raid Wings being released into Guild Wars 2 and nothing else. It's like, what the fuck are you in it? How dare you? <laughs> How dare you? This was supposed to be my game. Not these asshole Raiders. They're supposed to be playing World of Warcraft or something. Um, I remember watching that and they needed an explanation of why this was happening. And maybe the human angle is necessary to sort of cover the gaps between what people expect and what they get. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that's the job of uh, somebody in PR community management. It's tempering expectations and controlling those things so that everything goes right, <laughs> basically. How impossible right? even, even of a job is that, know, though? What's Sorry, that? How impossible of a job is that, though? Oh, it's very to, hard. You yeah. have to understand the different parts of your community, what they want, what they expect, and how what's coming in matches up with that. And mm. what we see in the game, what 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 is behind the scene looks nothing like what we actually get into the game until maybe days or weeks before the release. So how can you actually get ahead of these problems ever? Yeah, it's uh, very tricky, right? It's about constant communication and feedback and. In general, um, fun fact, fun, fun research fact. Mm. Um, the number one reason why salespeople fail. So I promise this is relevant because Please. they're selling their game to you and their choices all of the time. Yep. The number one, right? Why the number one reason why salespeople fail is inability to listen and empathize. Hmm. And so if a person feels like they're not being heard, they're less likely to buy or to invest in or to engage with, right? Sure. Translating that a little bit, but for the most part, th that's it, right? If people feel like they're being heard and understood, then they'll, you'll have buy-in from them. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where I feel like that period that you're describing was really lacking, right? There were, there were people screaming in the streets saying, please listen to me, like acknowledge these problems, just, just say anything. And it was just silent, radio silence, right? I mean, uh, the, probably the most potent one was right before. And, and I still can't believe that they didn't say anything about this. Not telling us the release date until it was too late for people to take time off work. Couldn't believe that. I, I, that I was mean, weird. maybe that sounds so petty and like, I, I don't know, but I just was so shocked by that because I, I thought that they would 100% get 
give people enough notice so they could take time off to play the game that they love with the friends and the community that they've built. Uh, but lots of people couldn't because it just waited too long. Uh, but they never said anything. They never acknowledged it. I mean, there were countless Reddit posts, people on Twitter, on everywhere just saying, please, like, hear us. And we never got anything. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. Um, like, I wonder why, right? And I, if the, it, here's my, my view is that if they just told me why, I respect it. But they never, they, like, exactly. It's like a, exactly. It's, it's like a respect thing, right? Like, it's, it's like they did, it feels like the perception could be that they didn't care again, right? And you yes. don't want, because, but they, they do don't. care a lot, right? But, if if they care in their minds but not in their actions, are they actually do they actually care? Um, I, well, maybe not. I, I guess it's <laughs> it's the actions or choices of a few people though that then get get construed to everyone at yes. the company. Yes, and th that's problematic to me, right? Like people are going up to Chelsea who makes incredible artwork and and all of, and does such a good job, and then. They're saying that it's her fault that they could get, right? Like, that's what's happening. That people paint the whole picture. So it's, it's very, very interesting to me. Um, I still, I wish that I understood. Um, because to me, it seems like if they just said, hey, being up front with you, super, you know, if, if somebody just went on the Reddit and was like, hey, you're a most loyal yeah. fans, you're here yeah. every day, uh, we're just going to be straight up with you. Mm. We, um, are debating like three different days right now. Mm -hmm. So that's why we haven't announced the date because we can't yet because we aren't 100% certain. I think that's extremely vulnerable though, like extremely vulnerable. And if they did that, I think that yeah, the, the corporate side I think yeah. would not be good. Like they would, they'd view that yeah. as a weakness. Yeah. So I, I think that's the, the issue with that. But I mean, really depends on how you spin it, right? Yeah. How do you say it? So that it comes off as a very positive thing. Yeah, I, I'm actually sympathetic with their choice. Um, I think we can strongly infer the reason this happened is something to do with the likelihood of them actually hitting what they did forecast, which was February 2022. That was in the mix, I think. And I think that had been announced as at the end of 2021 at some point. So we knew that. But my my intuition, and this is based on just seeing some, you know, uh, some uh, self awareness shown by the studio and follow up communication, like talking about how the studio needed to take a little bit of a break to recover from End of Dragons. Yeah, and I'm glad they did that. By the way, really good self awareness. Yeah, definitely, and say it. Glad they said it. Great communication. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that showed a lot of courage. I really respected that. Yeah, me too. That, then that to me suggests that this was a hell ride to get out. And there was a real, pro there was a really good chance that they were going to miss that February date. And I think that there's, it, it does hazard to, a, a, to any game when you can create a headline to say that something's been delayed. And we've already, that already happened once, right? Yeah. I think we, we talked about I think they were too afraid to delay it again. Uh, and, and I mean, justifiably so, justifiably, right? <laughs> right? And so the risk is, if we're honest, and then our people who already love us will love us a little more, you know? 
like the, the the converted, the acolytes, the yous and me's, will appreciate that. But if but if we do that, we run the risk of, of confusing a bunch of people who don't know us very much, and who and and setting a narrative with people who were trying to get interested that we're um that our word isn't to be trusted. And that I think is something that uh, to to. Just, just further underline that that's a narrative that, that, the, that the community's been talking about for years. Yeah, they couldn't afford to make that mistake again. Uh, yeah, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head. They could not afford to miss that date. If they did, oof. I mean, I there are so many things that I can think of that they promised and then way under delivered or just didn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has really affected a lot of sentiment about the game and around the game. Right, mm-hmm. you hear the same things from people that haven't played in years that they'll just say, "Oh, it's a dead game because X, Y, Z." Yeah, yeah, and that's not good. Word of mouth in gaming is huge. Yeah, look at, I mean, totally different genre of game, but look at something like Among Us. Right, mm-hmm. it, it it was like three people, two people that made that game or something mm-hmm. sat dormant for years, exploded one day because everyone was talking about how fun it was. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's. But when somebody talks about Guild Wars 2, it's, oh, that game does X, or they, you know, they, th- there's always this negative sentiment. That's that dead MMO that everyone yeah, thought was, it's not, was going to be the salvation of the industry, but ended up just being another, eh. Yeah, and, and there's it, a and, lot of people really trying to change that. A lot of content creators really try to change that narrative. But, but when things like you go on stage, I vividly remember this because I was <laughs> the IBS announcement. I was in my master's orientation with my laptop and had the, th- I was so excited. I had the little thing on my screen. Yeah. And uh, they said, alliances are coming. <laughs> They're like, this is like the third time or something they've said this, right? <laughs> and, and then they proceed to show like merch for the next 30 minutes. I, I remember I was like. The dude with the cape. Yeah, I remember when they said alliances were coming again. I was like, I don't believe you. Hmm. I don't. I don't believe because that's it. as an expert in apology videos. <laughs> <laughs> because what we find is that every time you make a transgression, a similar transgression, or you do something wrong, just like last time, apology FSC goes boo 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 boo. Yes, boo, right. Like it. Yes. If you keep making the same mistake over and over again, eventually people don't feel sorry for you anymore. Right. So, uh, like, as soon as they said that, I said, I don't believe them. When they announced it last time, um, I was like, I don't think they're getting this out anytime soon. Not with EOD. Uh, and that sounds really doomer and evil and whatever. I but was right there with you. Re- yeah. And, like, I love the game, right? Yeah. But when they talk about alliances now, I don't believe anything they say. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. Because the history has shown me that it's not going to happen. Do, do I believe that it's going to happen? They're making progress on it. I think the blog posts have helped a lot with that, where they're really sure. transparent about problems that they're fixing and things. Right. For a long time, they just would be like, boom, it's going to happen. And then they just, it just doesn't. And they just go qu- silent. Bro. Right. Uh, yes. And that's that's a very political thing to do. Like politicians do that; they make a mistake and they just say nothing about it until they absolutely have to, right? Yeah. So or, or, or until there's good news to report. Yeah. So it's I don't know it. It's interesting to me that uh, you know 
that sentiment exists and how do they fight that? And I believe I saw Grouch talk about that or was it just informally in a Twitch chat or something? Grouch was there. I swear he mentioned, you know, trying to change people's perceptions of the game. Yeah. Right? And I actually believe End of Dragons did a pretty good job, right? People were pretty excited about End of Dragons. I yes. think the community had like a lot of eagerness and they were fun and people were praised. I mean, I praised the crap out of the game and I still do. I think yeah. End of Dragons was fantastic. Yeah, there were like expansion. little things here yeah. and there. Yeah, I think it's probably the best expansion they made. Um, there are little things like my my top three criticism would probably be that some of the elite specializations are a little bit lackluster relative to their Path of Fire um yeah, those, those are all then, very explosive by comparison yeah right like anyway yes so i i think it just feels a little bit weird but i yeah. i think they've tweaked that quite a bit with balance already and that things are getting better uh and then the reward systems are a little bit meh uh and then i mean that's that's honestly those are the biggest things for me right i, right. I don't i don't know and those but. are like the the complaints of the the daily the the, the, the everyday guild wars players people yeah the huge majority of people who just kind of cruise in for expansions they never see yeah. those problems yeah i mean i guess the from the pvp and world versus world lens i guess the big criticism is they got nothing out of it so they, yeah. they didn't get like a new map or they didn't you know there, there's nothing there for them right. so i'm also a little bit um I sympathize empathetic with towards them you yeah. know i i get it right even though that's not my content of choice i get why you know there's some hostility there but right yeah, I mean, we've heard a reading that continually trumpet the idea of three sort of game modes, all equal in importance. Like that's something they really have always wanted to manifest, but so hard. Their to actions have never seemed to back it up. Well, um, slight disagree. I think at Ooh. the beginning of the game, they they really did, but there was a consequence to that, and the consequence was they absolutely destroyed all of their employees. Like, there's no way that producing content at that cadence was ever going to be sustainable talking about season one i'm just talking about like the first year and a half of the game or first two After years of the released. game in general yeah okay like look they were trying to do esports they're trying to make guild wars 2 an esport while releasing living world content that was one time deliverable like every few weeks and then they were also trying to have this world versus world thing that started out as an afterthought anyway mm -hmm. uh meanwhile they suddenly are going to make an expansion with raids when that was never in the books to begin with. Like, mm -hmm. and, and then they released fractals and they had to maintain that. And if you look, if you look at Guild Wars 2, if, if I try to go to somebody and say, I want to play Guild Wars 2 and they go, yeah, but I like instance content. You tell me about the instance content in Guild Wars 2. What do you say? Like, how do you even describe this? You say well, there are dungeons, but there are also strike missions. There's also these dragon response missions. Oh, and, but there's two kinds of strike missions. There's like the ones from Ice Brood Saga, and then there's the ones from End of Dragons. You have to have the expansion of the End of Dragons ones, but the, and then but you got to buy that. Like this goes on forever. There's also raids, but you need the expansions to do raids. Fractals you can do on a core account. What are fractals? Fractals are like dungeons, but they're not quite dungeons. What are dragon response missions? Oh, they're they're like dungeons and fractals, but they're not quite either. <laughs> like these these, it's very confusing, right? Yeah. yeah. Fractals, you need agony resistance. What's Agnes is? Well, it's oh only God. in fractals. You have to have it I on every character. System. You have to have ascended armor. Oh, so I need ascended armor for everything? Actually, you don't. You only need exotic armor for like literally everything else in the game. Like it's, this is complicated. And yeah. um, 
I, th I think what, and this is me just theorizing, right? So I don't, cause I don't know. I think that they, they just kept increasing the scope of the game and they had scope creep. So it just kept getting more and more and more and more and more and more. And then to maintain all of it, it became too much. So instead they had to underwater and underfeed everything. Yeah. And then eventually something had to go and PVP died. Right. Like that's, mm -hmm. I, yeah. I just think that's my analysis. Like, um, eventually it was no longer sustainable. Um, because how, how do you do that? Like, I, I'm actually amazed they did it for so long, right? They did the Karka yeah. event, like season one stuff. Like, yeah, it was just so much work for, right. and, and then it was a one-off every time. Right. The hubris. Like, honestly yeah of that that way of doing content it was it was hubristic there's no other way to put it that um you know i also think about like other other mmos and how they do this and they sort of have an organic way to solve some of these problems where they age out content you aren't meant to be playing content from three four five years ago now guild wars 2 made this again hubristic promise content never becoming irrelevant which is actually sort of true it's sort of yeah, true. They actually, to be fair, I feel like they do a decent job at that. That that, but what people don't understand necessarily, or what's not clear in that bargain, is that there's sort of like a like a that that's the sword that cuts two ways, because everything is relevant, which sort of means nothing is. Yeah, yep. When you try to do everything, you actually do nothing. When you try to please everyone, you please no one. It's actually one of the biggest things in sales and marketing is if you try to appeal to every demographic, you will appeal to not a single demographic. Mm. That's a big problem, which is why um, I think we've seen Guild Wars 2 go through these cycles, right? Where they're, it's like, it feels like in some ways that they were trying to find who their people are for a long time, right? And then eventually they kind of found them and they just sort of ran with that. Yeah. Um, but some people weren't happy with that because they had been delivered the stuff that they loved. And then suddenly they just got no more of it, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They got left it's like behind. going to a restaurant and ordering this food and you're like, oh, it's so good. And then you come back next time like, sorry, we don't have that anymore. That's right. No more hamburgers on the menu. Sorry. <laughs> it's done. Only pizza. Yeah, man. That's a tough one. Well, uh, Snub, this has been an awesome conversation, man. I want to respect your time. Uh, what are you up to? What do you want to promote? Well, you know, I do my Twitch thing. Uh, I've also been making a few YouTube videos every now and then. And I'm pretty active on Twitter. So you can, it's slash Snebzor, S-N-E-B-Z-O-R. Very Canadian of me to say Z. <laughs> and I'm there. I, I like to talk about the game. I like, I like helping people get into the more difficult content in the game and just building relationships and friendships. Everybody on my Discord is a friend. Everybody in the stream is a friend. We just have a good time and like to, we like to bring new people into the fold. There's oftentimes a lot of new folks and we... You know, help them decide what their first character is going to be, where they're going to go, what they're going to do, how they get their cool. armor. And we just we just really enjoy that. That's sort of me. You can also catch me on Tea Time every now and again. I'm going to be there this Sunday. Cool. Um, well, it might be last Sunday <laughs> when this goes live. Right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, um, I'm just involved a lot in the Guild Wars 2 community. I love it. So if you ever want to talk Guild Wars, 2, <clears throat> Guild Wars 2 or just gaming in general, shoot me a message. Yeah, man, we should do this again. Thanks, Neb, for taking a moment to commune with me as gamers do. 
And thanks everyone for listening. This has been the Deeg Podcast. I'll see you in the next conversation. Later. <laughs>